Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back, guys. Today's episode features midwife Anna taking us through her breach birth journey. Originally wanting to birth at home through her hospital's midwifery program, she realized it was not an option after exhausting all efforts to turn her baby. Initially expecting to feel devastated when her final attempt failed, she left that appointment with a deep knowing and trust that her baby was breached presentation for a reason and she surrendered fully to the journey ahead of her. At 37 plus 3, she went into spontaneous labour and ultimately had the vaginal birth she desired, feeling held and supported by her colleagues. Enjoy this episode, guys. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I live in Adelaide with my husband, Sam. Um, and our little six-month-old baby, Tom. Mm. Um, yeah. And did you guys plan to conceive Tom? Yes. we. Um, I sort of did some preconception bloods and started taking an um, antenatal vitamin and um, was thinking, oh, you know, we'll, we'll check all this out and, you know, we'll get some, some of this stuff into my body and then within, you know, three or four months we'll start trying. Yeah. Um, but sort of from opening up that conversation, I never got my period again. So oh, wow. little man was on the way. So I think it was, yeah, it was perfect timing really for us. I think I was so thrilled. So, yeah. Oh, and how was your pregnancy with him? Um, a bit challenging. I was nauseous from about five weeks, so like really oh. early. And then by about eight weeks pregnant, I was vomiting and that, yeah, didn't cease until he was out of my body. So oh, that kid. was full on, yeah. Oh, you poor thing. And were you still working at that stage? Yeah, I was. So I'm also a midwife myself. Yeah. Um, and so I was doing a lot of group practice, so sort of midwifery group practice work at the time, which was quite beneficial because for most of the days, you know, obviously you're on call, but I could plan the appointments how I wanted and 
I could plan to have, you know, a 2 p.m. afternoon nap most days because yeah. you get pretty tired. Um, I did end up vomiting in some poor woman's house once because I was just, <laughs> you know, like we were halfway through an appointment 20 minutes in and I just had to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be sick. I'm actually pregnant myself. Oh. And I, is that a bathroom? It was, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But... Oh, she would have understood. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, she did. And she was so lovely about it. But yeah, it was, um, it was definitely challenging. I had all these dreams of you know, it's beautiful journey of growing your baby and it was beautiful but just covered in vomit. It was disgusting <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you did it. You made I it. I did it. That's right. <laughs> so what model of care did you end up choosing? So I had um, – I was always going to go sort of with midwifery group practice model, you know, with the known care provider and knowing your own midwife. Yeah. Um, I'd done one of my first placements as a student was with that model of care and so that really set me up right from the start of knowing about you know babies and being born and all that I knew that that was sort of the best model that I I perceived um, and evidence suggests that too Um, so that was always what I was wanted to do and then I did birth where I worked Um, so I had the luxury of sort of choosing my midwife I sort of you know messaged her privately and said hey I'm pregnant would you mind being my midwife and she said yeah absolutely so yeah it was one of the perks of working there but yeah um yeah so you ended up having a breech birth at what point in your pregnancy did you realize that he was breech presentation yeah so I was about 28 weeks um because I was originally was really um, hoping for a home birth. I thought that would have been awesome. I really trusted in my body and that, you know, we're so built to birth and that I was low risk and thought that as much as I loved my colleagues at work, as in obstetric-wise, the obstetricians and whatnot, you know, you, you push for an hour and they start knocking on the door and wondering what's happening and I know that everything would be fine, but, you know, just that extra pressure and adrenal- adrenaline and whatever, I really um, was keen for the idea of just being at home with my support system. But, yeah, he was breached from about 28 weeks, so I didn't really care that much at that stage. I thought he's small enough, um, plenty of time to turn around. But, um, yeah, so I, I had a midwife appointment at 29 weeks um, and she – out and said yep I think you're right that's definitely a head there um and so yeah I didn't really care that much at that stage but by about 32 weeks when he was still there I was sort of aware that I'm a first-time mom I've got tight abdominal muscles and and that kind of makes it harder for the babies to spin around on their own okay. I thought I need to start being a bit proactive so I think I started out by doing I did acupuncture I tried that for all the nausea and vomiting and that hadn't really relieved there but because I'd already you know was regularly seeing this acupuncturist I got them to start doing some stuff and I saw um, a chiropractor in Adelaide she's um, brilliant actually she's also a doula so she had a lot of um, really good information and she did a lot of optimal maternal positioning stretches and techniques and things with me as well as sort of chiropractic treatment and all of that, which I think was really helpful um, just for sort of balancing my pelvis and all my muscles. And I think that really helped with my mindset as well because I was feeling like 
well, I've optimised as much space and as much flexibility in my pelvis and pelvic floor and all of that area as much as I can. So even if he comes out breach, at least I should be as roomy as possible, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and when also with the acupuncturist, the, she gave me the moxibustion sticks to put on my little toes. Oh, yeah, I've um, heard of those. Yeah, so it was quite bizarre. I wasn't really sure how much I believed it would do anything, but I was sort of... What's the theory behind that again? Um, it's to do with the energy points in your little toes, something like that. And so it somehow, I think, is meant to connect to your baby and okay. your uterus. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't know how much I believed it, but I was pretty desperate and I thought... Well, you know, people in other cultures suggest that this works and it's obviously they yeah. still bring it up for a reason, so you never know, give it a crack. But I just, you know, when you've got that big, you're not allowed to do it until 34 weeks, I think, because it can encourage labour. Yeah. Um, so I remember sitting there with this big belly trying to reach both my little toes at once <laughs> with these little sticks and it was quite oh, a funny no. image in my mind. But, yeah, we tried that. Um, someone suggested doing swimming, so I was sort of swimming a couple of times a week with one of my best friends and um, was doing yeah, all sorts of forward-leaning inversions and all sorts trying to get this baby in the right position. And every night, you know, I was reading these studies that said more babies turn when you're asleep because your stomach's relaxed. And so every night I'd have a little pop of my belly and see which side his head and back was on and see if I could lay in the position that would mean gravity would help him flip and every morning I'd wake up disappointed that oh, yeah. <laughs> nope didn't happen that night. But um, it was quite—I was really quite devastated actually, yeah. and I was really conflicted because I was thinking, you know, I know that I've got this perfectly healthy baby in there, and I'm so lucky in so many ways to have such a well baby and and everything else. Yes, I'm nauseated, but it, you know, I'm actually feeling good. I didn't have pelvic pain or was still sleeping fairly well and but I'm so upset that this baby is breech you know I felt really like I was being selfish but I just you know especially being a midwife I mean I think a lot of women dream about how they'll birth but especially being a midwife and being in the scene for seven years I really had these dreams of birthing and laboring and then to think that I would just go in on my elected day, be chopped open and never experience labour. I was really devastated by that. And whilst I know once you've had a caesarean, there is the option of, you know, vaginal birth afterwards, but with the publicly funded home birth in South Australia, you definitely can't do that if you've got a scar on your uterus. And I didn't know, you know, how, you know, just thinking for future births, it would yeah. forever impact how um, when I birthed you'd need, you know, to go in the hospital. Of course you can decline constant monitoring and all that, but that's they would be pushing you and yeah. be on much more of a time limit and all that. So I was really quite devastated that, you know, I thought this was going to get robbed from me, but mm -hmm. I guess I just did a lot of reading and I think as much as I trusted my body and my baby and really believed that it was given that everything else was normal, this was just a variation of normal, mm. um, I think I just would never, like I knew that the breach situation could bring up other circumstances and I just didn't feel like I'd ever forgive myself if I risked doing it at home or anything and then, mm. and then something went wrong. So, yeah, it was yeah. conflicting between working in that medical system and trusting my body but all my midwives were just so brilliant. So bringing it back, yeah, we were 
I think, yeah, 32 weeks, I really started to get all the teams on board. And then by about 35 weeks, I sort of discussed with my midwife saying, all right, what's next? Like, I'd like to try the ECV, so to manually turn the baby's head and bottom, obviously, opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't super thrilled by the idea of an ECV, but I guess I knew it was my only, it was one of the main chances of having a home birth or a vaginal birth at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of, we started talking about it and I knew that the sooner I could do it, the smaller the baby would be, the more chance there was success, you know. Um, they sort of say you can do it from 36, but my hospital was sort of thinking, oh, no, we don't like to do it until 37 because there's a small chance that it will distress the baby and then we'd have to do a cesarean and they wouldn't want to have a preterm birth without, you know, that they'd sort of intervened with. Yeah. Um, so I sort of I got them to do it for me at 36 and 6, so <laughs> <laughs> as early as they as early as early they would let me do it. Yeah. Um, but everyone was so, like, the first person, the first doctor I saw was really on board. She said, yeah, let's do this this spinning around and if it doesn't work, then we can discuss a vaginal breech birth. And so then on the day Amazing. when I went in, I sort of um, I went in for the um, ECV. I was quite anxious and it was a different doctor again, but, again, she was really lovely and um, I'd had a big chat with my midwife beforehand she she herself had had an ECV I think with her second baby and so we had a big chat about what it would feel like and the fact that I really needed to relax all my tummy muscles because the more that I would tense up with the anxiety and the pressure of it the less likely they'd be able to sort of successfully turn the baby so Mm -hmm. I sort of went in and she said imagine your belly's like a bowl of custard and you've just got (laughs) to keep it all soft and that they can help turn so I went in there and they do the trace, the CTG um, heart rate monitor trace for a bit beforehand um, and they give you a medicine called tibutaline, which is really unpleasant. Its idea is to um, relax your smooth muscles and that, like your uterus is a smooth muscle, so to take away any contractions or Braxton Hicks that you might get with them sort of poking and prodding your uterus and it makes your sort of heart rate go up and you feel a bit like you're having a panic attack even without necessarily having one, but your heart rate goes up and you feel sweaty and a bit, it was really, it wasn't a particularly nice feeling, but obviously we just went with that and they um, put the ultrasound on to check that the cord wasn't around his neck. Um, They could see the cord was near his neck, but they didn't think it was around um so they tried a couple of times to turn him which was yeah quite uncomfortable it was quite a lot of pressure and they got his bottom out of my pelvis and all the way up to sort of so that he was transverse sort of going from side to side of my body yeah so they got him to there um twice but both times he just wouldn't go further um and both times afterwards he actually dropped his heart rate quite a bit so um, when it actually came time to the birth, we the cord was around his neck twice, oh. So, um, which uh, we'll get to in a moment, I suppose. But it, um, I think that's why it didn't work, the ECV, because I think he was just getting caught with that cord getting tighter. Mm. And I also think that that's why he was breech. Obviously, he 
I felt like he would have his head under my right rib and all the time he'd get it all the way over under the left rib down the side and then he'd bounce back. And I felt like he was trying to turn the whole pregnancy since being breached, but he just couldn't because he'd just obviously got himself. So I think that that was why he was breached, yeah, in the end. and Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I thought I'd be really devastated when the ECV didn't work um, and I was really worried because I was at my workplace and I thought, oh, now I'm going to leave this place. Everyone's going to see me, you know, with red puffy eyes, so upset that it hadn't worked. But I actually just felt so relieved and I didn't expect to feel that way. But I think I was really um, becoming in tune with my body and my baby and I just knew that there was a reason he needed to be in that position. Mm. I just really felt like my baby and my body and every everything was saying, now nah, this is how it needs to be. Yeah. Um and I think I, like breech birth is, is one of those things where they did the study in the 2000s, I think the term breech, breech trial, which is quite controversial and it's when you actually look at the methodology and the results and all of it, there's quite a lot of issues with it. Um, but that was the main study that decided that cesarean would be the safer option for breech birth. Wow. And so then everyone sort of lost their skill set with um vaginal breech birth but when you actually look at the evidence it's really quite a flawed study so I think I I knew that and I trusted that with everything else being right in my pregnancy and had apart from that ECV been completely untouched we hadn't needed you know I didn't have diabetes so I knew it was growing at a normal rate and everything else was you know so fine I think I just trusted you know this this like all of my ancestors, my mum, my aunties, my grandmas had straightforward vaginal births. There's no reason why my pelvis shouldn't fit this baby and yeah. my husband's only a little bit taller than me so I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm five, I mean, I'm, you know, five foot six or something and I've got this six foot five big Maori husband, you know, I wasn't yeah. thinking that I <laughs> had <laughs> this genetically huge baby that wouldn't fit out of me. Yeah. So I think I just really... Um, leaned into trusting that no this is what needs to happen for me and that breech birth you know can be quite safe Um, so I guess after the ECV the doctor said to me look we'd like you to have a growth scan and if the baby's growing at a normal rate and that their um, abdominal circumference is um, within the same sort of proportion as their head as in like same growth um, percentages and whatever they'd be happy because you don't want to obviously push the body out and then get to the head that's heaps bigger and your cervix isn't open enough for that mm-hmm. um, so they said as long as the growth was normal and he was completely bottom presenting it didn't really matter where his feet were whether he was um, they said that obviously it is quite good if they're up by their head but if as long as it was his bottom that was presenting and not a foot they weren't too fast and then they didn't want um, the cord around his neck so yeah. they wanted to do yeah the formal ultrasound and then if that had hap- if that was all good then they wanted me to go into spontaneous labor they wouldn't induce wow, me that's so yeah. amazing I must admit though I'm a little bit surprised the OBs were so supportive because I feel like a lot of the time you hear of women just kind of being shipped off to theatre because the OBs aren't comfortable delivering breach. Yeah, so a lot of them won't um, but they wanted me 
um, so if I was to go down the vaginal birth plan with being breached mm-hmm. um, and the ultrasound had proved they were happy with all the things there, they really want labour to be um, un, yeah, as natural as possible. The more we intervene, the more you have to keep intervening. And I really believe that I really trust birth mm-hmm. when you actually just let it flow as your body and the hormones and everything are all regulating themselves, aligning themselves. I really think that birth is, you know, we can trust that for as long as we're not intervening. But as soon as we start breaking someone's waters and putting up hormone drips, and of course there are good reasons to do that um, in plenty of cases, but it does obviously change the natural process of it all. So they wanted me, yeah, to go into spontaneous labour. They said I had to dilate at least one centimetre an hour, which for a first-time mum is a bit you know, unrealistic. not necessary, <laughs> you know, plenty of mums might take eight hours to get to four centimetres and yeah. I wouldn't, as a midwife, I wouldn't care. I'd think, well, they're still progressing and, you know, I think that what your cervix is doing can be quite irrelevant. But um, anyway, that was their, their um, criteria and they said that it had to be, yeah, I had to sort of only had one hour to push him out whereas mm. um, with a normal uh, head down baby you can have up to two hours being a first-time mum to push the baby out was the hospital's protocol so okay. it was sort of like oh I really was thinking they're really wanting all of these little teeny tiny things to align so there was a glimmer of hope there but it was like I just felt like all these walls were sort of <laughs> caving in a little bit there because yeah. I thought that is so many things that need to align um, but so we booked that growth ultrasound which was obviously the first step we booked that for when I was 37 weeks and four days. So that was going to be the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just the nearest available appointment. So I'd had that ECV on the previous Friday at 36 and 6. And so that weekend I sort of turned, yeah, 37 weeks on that Saturday, Saturday and we'd just finished doing up the nursery. So just leaving it really right to the last minute. We're putting in the um, cupboards and all sorts of things. But so we just finished doing all the last little touches and I just started going okay let's you know we're up to the countdown to meeting this baby it might be five weeks it might be tomorrow who knows but um we I've I was proud of myself for growing a baby to full term essentially I was like wow we've done this all right let's meet this baby and I guess my attitude really changed um and on the Monday I lost my mucus plug which I was a bit surprised about. So I was 37 weeks and two days. So I thought, oh, this is quite early, but obviously you can lose that and then labour can still not start for a few more weeks. But Mm -hmm. I guess I wasn't really expecting it because with the ECV, they'd unengaged his um, bottom from my pelvis. So I didn't even know if there was anything really pushing down on my cervix enough for the mucus plug to come out. But obviously things were happening and um, I really felt like he dropped a bit at that time too so yeah we that was sort of the first sign that I thought oh things might be coming along and then on the Tuesday so 37 and 3 I finished packing up all of the like we'd redone the linen cupboard so the spare bedroom just had all of the linen on it and all this so I just finally put every last little bit away and I thought right okay the house is like now in order um which I can be a bit sort of anal like that I like to have my things in a row so I think yeah my body knew that that's what I needed to do and yeah Sam came home from work that 
evening and we were taking the dogs for a walk. We live right near Belair National Park. So each night we were taking the dogs in there and going for a nice walk and you'd see kangaroos and all sorts of like koalas and you'd, it's just really beautiful. So we sort of got out in nature and we went on a new loop that we hadn't really been on before and which we now call Tom's Walk. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we went on that and about I was getting Braxton Hicks the whole pregnancy. I really was quite aware of them. But on that walk I've got probably about um, five, five I think, that we had to actually stop for and we came home. It was probably about 7 p.m. Um, and everything, like we, I'd cooked a lentil um lasagna for dinner and so we had that and um everything settled down and I didn't really think much more of it I just thought oh yeah I've got a bigger baby in there that's starting to engage I'm just having these Braxton Hicks that I've been having the whole time so maybe they're a bit more of a sensation because the baby's more engaged and didn't really think much of it and so we went to bed and turned out the light and then within about 30 seconds my waters broke and just it was like a tsunami. There was just so much water. I had one of those big pregnancy body pillows um, that got completely soaked and I had we put two towels down and they were completely soaked and my brain was thinking, oh, my gosh, there's obviously nothing. You know, your waters break but then usually the head or bottom or whatever part is presenting then sort of comes and acts a bit like a plug so you can have this big gush and then it sort of stops. But I thought, oh, my gosh, there is so much fluid. There's got to be nothing there and in the minute I might have a cord presenting or something and I was yeah. freaking out a little bit. But, um, yeah, just sort of laid there and was like a bit surreal and thought, oh, my goodness. Um, so then got up and there was no cord, thankfully, and the water was really clear um, and... I could feel him kicking around and moving so I wasn't, you know, I knew he was obviously okay and went and sat on the toilet and just let all the rest of the fluid that just, honestly, it felt like there was about five litres. I know Whoa. there couldn't have been but it was <laughs> just so much fluid and I called my best friend who um, is also a midwife. We met through training um, and I planned that she would come to my birth I didn't really, like whether it was a home birth or a hospital birth or whatever, I we knew I was going to have her because I thought, you know, if I have a home birth, there'll be two midwives there, which I would hopefully trust and I would have myself. But if I had my friend there as well, I knew I could really turn off my midwife brain because I knew that I'd have lots of support and everyone there and I wouldn't need to think about things because they would all be there. And then with going into the hospital, you'd only have the one midwife and hopefully I'd have my midwife. But if it was someone that I didn't know as well or, I mean, obviously I knew them from work, but if they didn't sort of know the plans we'd talked about antenatally or anything, I knew that um, I'd still have Rachel there, my friend, and that I would still, yeah, be able to turn off that midwife brain. And I thought she'd be good at helping my husband, Sam, with anything. Obviously he's you know, kind of a pseudo midwife himself because you come home and you're telling all the stories at the end of the day, but, you know, it would help him feel calm and know that things were okay or whatnot. Um, so plan to have her there. I called her and she was a bit like, what? You're only, yeah, 37 weeks and three days or something. Like what first time mum has a baby yeah. now, you know, <laughs> surely fully expecting that, you know, it'd be 41 weeks and <laughs> That was, yeah, and so then I called the hospital midwife, the triage midwife, um, 
And she sort of said, because I hadn't had the growth scan yet, she would just call the hospital and see what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we had discussed um, before that hopefully what would happen is that they would say, okay, your waters have broken, but you're the same as every other um, first time mum with a straightforward head down pregnancy. You can just go home to, well, come in, check that your waters are broken, then you can go home and lay, wait for labour to start and come back in the morning mm-hmm. if things hadn't sort of started themselves, um, was hopefully the plan. So she called the hospital and was going to chat to them and see what consultant doctor was on and what they were going to think about everything. Um, and so she went to go call the hospital and I then got into the shower. This is, yeah, probably... 20 minutes, half an hour after my waters had broken and I was definitely starting to have tightenings already. They were already two or three minutes apart um, and I was sort of just in the shower stepping from side to side and they were obviously really manageable at that stage but I was like, oh, they're definitely more than what the Braxton Hicks that I'd been having for weeks were um, and I had, I'd done a hypnobirthing course mm-hmm. um, and I had all the little uh, affirmations pinned up on my um, shower screen so I was just sort of standing there reading them and trying to get my mind in the right headset um, and so then I think the midwife took for ages to call back again I'm not entirely sure why but it would have been an hour um, before we ended up leaving to go to the hospital because um, she which I was quite pleased about because I was quite happy to I obviously really wanted to labor at home and ideally even if I had been planning a hospital birth with a head down baby I'd wanted to stay at home for as long as possible before you know going in and for all the reasons of you know not wanting to disrupt things and getting that adrenaline spike and turning off labor and all of that so I was yeah wanting to stay home and so I was quite pleased actually that we didn't end up leaving until a bit later but she called up and said yep time to go in so meanwhile my husband had just installed the baby seat into the car so of course right right up to the last minute but yeah so we but yeah so then we got in the car probably just after midnight and um I was definitely getting I think it's like a 12 minute drive and I got five contractions that I really had to like pull myself forward and be quite sort of breathe through um Mm -hmm. and we had this song that um was just a song I think it's um my star or something and it was talking about this baby unborn baby and so we listened to this song a few times just in the car on the way there getting excited to meet our baby Mm -hmm. um and so we got in and went through emergency and the hospital was quite busy that night in the birthing area so being breached technically therefore high risk um they wanted me in the normal labor rooms not in the birth center rooms um but they were because they were so busy they didn't have a normal labor ward room free yet so I went into the birth center where they were going to do the CTG monitoring and have a look at the baby um so that was quite nice actually they've got the big double bed and the bath and um, much nicer room so I sort of set that up knowing I wouldn't stay there but I still dimmed the lights, put on some music and just got that environment right. Um, and they put the CTG monitor on and I could not sit on the bed. Like I just, they put it on and I just had to stand next to the bed the whole time. He was really, yeah, engaging and getting down into my pelvis and I was getting quite uncomfortable, but I was 
really trying to play it off because I was like, nope, it's not happening. This is early, early, early labour. Don't get your hopes up. Like just, you know, this could take hours. This could be days. Who knows? Just, I mean, obviously I didn't know what they would let me do, but I was thinking, nope, for a first-time mum and only 37 weeks, just don't get too excited. But I was quite uncomfortable and they were all really busy and my midwife hadn't come in from home yet well, my primary midwife was off, but the backup midwife hadn't um, come in from home yet because they were just deciding whether I would then go home to let labour start or if I would stay. Um, and so the doctors were in theatre and they couldn't come and see me, but the heart rate trace was perfect. Um, so they went, they just sort of ignored me, which was good. But then I think about 1.15, I called my friend Rachel back and I said, nah, this is this is on. So I think I'd only been actually in the hospital in that room for about 45 minutes and I just went, nah, this is really ramped up. And so she came in and I called one of the midwives down and it's one of the midwives that only works night shift and I'd worked a lot of night shift with her and she's really funny. And I just, she came in, she said, oh, hi, Anna, like, congratulations. What's up? What do you need? And I just went, this is fucked. (laughs) (laughs) I just went, this is fucked. I can't do this. I love it. And I think she was just sort of like, oh, that's not the nice, polite young lady that I'm used to seeing. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. And so they moved me into the, the normal birth sweet room because they I think they thought okay we need to actually get some stuff ready Mm -hmm. and so then the doctor was out of theatre pretty much by the time I got into that room and I was already starting to get a bit vocal but um was trying to play it down being no this is don't waste your energy we're still so early on um but yeah the doctor came and they did an internal and I was trying to think before I knew I'd said that I didn't really want internal exams if the baby was head down and whatever. Obviously, this was a different situation, but mm-hmm. I thought, I don't actually remember. I knew I probably didn't want to know how far along I was because I didn't want to get caught in the headset, but I did find out. I don't know if the doctor just told me or what, but she told me that I was two centimetres and that it was really soft and stretchy and that the bum was well applied. Um, she also did a bedside ultrasound and said that his the cord again was near the neck but didn't think it was around. Um, so they were happy to just let things go. She told me that the consultant doctor that was on call for that night was one that I had worked with a lot and I really trusted um, and um, she was happy for me to labour and to see how things go. So I sort of, I'd read um, Rhea Dempsey's Birth with Confidence. Great book. Um, yeah, best, best book. Um and she and so I was about two centimeters, and I thought, all right, this is my first crisis of confidence. Great, because oh, yeah. <laughs> I really was like, two centimeters. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, as in, I knew that it was. I was just like, oh, I don't know how long I can do this for. But I sort of, yeah. my midwife had then the, the backup midwife had come in from home, and she was just brilliant. She was someone who I'd worked with a bit as well, and she was from the UK and had done quite a few breech births there um oh, I mean it was 15 years prior or something but I just I knew okay she's seen a breech birth I trust you know quite a few times and I felt like she would she believed that my body could do it too I didn't feel like I was trying to convince her that oh just let me have a go let me have a go mm-hmm. um and so I, yeah I moved into the shower 
and um, and thought I really need to regroup myself. And so, yeah, it was about after 1.30, yeah, I went into the shower and I was in there for probably about three hours, just hands and knees, had like those little gardening pad things that you have that I had under my knees so that I could not have sore knees on the floor. And I, yeah, just contracted away and Rachel, my friend, held the hot water over my lower back and my husband sort of was sitting in front of me and he was sort of getting a bit sleepy, I think, because in the hot room with the shower in the middle of the night. But I didn't really mind that much at that stage. And apparently, um, I think when I was sort of starting to transition in there, um, I just said to Sam at one point, I tried to seek out the one person that I thought was the weak point because I thought Rachel's a midwife. She won't let me have an epidural. She knows that I can do this. <laughs> My midwife, Sue, she's not going to let me have an epidural. So I'll I'll go on to Sam because he'll let me have an epidural because he's yeah. the, <laughs> the one that doesn't know and he can see that I'm in pain and he'll let me have one. <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, funny. Um, I was like, you're not helping me. I need help. Help me. Like, <laughs> I just sort of screamed at him, you need to help me and get me an epidural. I can't do this. And um, he sort of just looked straight over at Rachel and Rachel must have just shook her head and been like, nah, she doesn't need one. I'm up in the night helping you labour and birth and you need to do this without an epidural if you want to have a vaginal birth. <laughs> so get on with it. And it was Oh, it was actually perfect. It was exactly yeah. what I needed to hear. I need—I didn't need someone to cuddle me and tell me, oh, you'll be okay. I needed yeah. someone to say, you're being not ridiculous, but, you know, you're letting the adrenaline and the emotion take over here and you've got this, you know you've got this, you know that an epidural isn't going to help. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I was still in the shower at that point, but um, Rachel had noticed that I had that sort of purple line coming up at the top of my bottom, which is a good sort of external sign that you're starting, that you might be fully dilated or getting pretty close um, because obviously, yeah, it's a good one without doing an internal exam. And I was obviously getting a bit, losing the plot a bit, that sort of typical transition sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we said, I said, right, why don't we check me and see how far along I am? So this is 4.30, only three hours after they'd told me I was two centimetres so I didn't really believe it I didn't think that that could be it but at the same time I was really sort of I felt like I was struggling I felt like I really wanted to stay um, relaxed during the contractions I sort of had this thing in my mind like um, loose mouth loose jaw loose pelvic floor I don't know I'd made it up on the spot when I was getting out the car but I just had this um, yeah sort of thing going through my head that I just wanted to keep everything really loose and let this baby come down Um, and I just felt like I wasn't able to do that like I just felt like I was tensing up so much so I went over to the bed and the midwife checked me and she said I'm pretty sure you're fully dilated but there is um, a foot coming first not a bottom anymore and so she got the doctor and the doctor came in and did an assessment as well and she said actually I think you might only be nine centimetres but there is a foot first Um, and I think she hadn't really seen many breech births herself this was just the registrar on for the night Um, and she sort of said oh we might have to give you an epidural and go to theatre and trial birth there and I was a bit sort of I mean I really want an epidural this is really intense but I don't think that's 
quite the way I'd like to birth this baby, but she knew that she was going to call the consultant obstetrician in any way. Um, so she called the consultant, but I, by that stage, started wanting to push. And I think she was a bit freaked out at the idea of me having this breech baby without the consultant there yet. So she said, I want to give you some fentanyl to help you sort of relax and stop pushing. And I sort of just said yes in the time. Um, and it didn't really take away any of the pain, but it stopped me from panicking about the situation. Um, and in hindsight, I sort of wish that I didn't have it, um, yeah. but it is what it is. Um, yeah. And it was, it was fine. Um, but when the doctor got there, the um, consultant, she came in and by that stage I was definitely fully dilated and my baby's foot was almost out and the bottom was really close behind, like his bottom was quite far down in the birth canal. So she said, nope, I'm really happy if you want to birth this baby in the room. I really would actually prefer that you didn't have an epidural, even though there probably wouldn't have been time. But she was really, no, I want you to be as natural as you can. You can be on all fours or on your back, whatever you'd like. Um, it'd be easier if you're on the bed because I myself am 29 weeks pregnant and it's hard to do a breech birth on the floor. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was like, look, that's a compromise I'm quite happy to make. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. encouraging me and happy with everything else to go ahead. So, yeah, I'll happily be on the bed yeah. Um, to yeah accommodate you in that situation. And I think I was uh, – it's what felt best at the time anyway. Um, I tried to get into all fours because I thought that would be the um, – I, I knew that that was a good position and it was meant to be quite good for birthing breaches, but it felt so wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to push and it just didn't feel like I was able to get things going right. Um, so I rolled over onto my side and I sort of pushed for a few contractions and he had his heel sort of up towards sort of – my clitoris sort of end his heel was out but his toes were still in right down more towards the anus and as I would push it was like he would flex his foot and would push against my pushes it felt really bizarre um and it was really uncomfortable but obviously that was what it was um Rachel had taken heaps of pictures that I saw afterwards so I could really um relate what I had felt to these pictures they were awesome um and so, yeah, got a few contractions. I got his foot out and it was, I think if there's one really cool advantage of a breech birth is that because you have to actually push the whole of him out as opposed to with a head down, you just push out the head and then more or, more or less the rest of the body sort of just follows. You have, um, with a breech, you have to keep pushing. But because his whole foot and leg was out, I could then see it from where I like was so I as I was pushing it was really easy to see where to push because I could see him advancing um which was like this awesome feedback I think um which is why I think sometimes a mirror can be really good for women when they're pushing out their babies Mm -hmm. because then you can see when you push right you can see the progress so um but yeah it was cool I could see his leg and then his we didn't know what gender he was at the time um, and his testicles must have been in the world for about 20 minutes <laughs> before the rest of him came out <laughs> and no one said what he was. No one said, oh, he's, you know, you're so close, he's almost there, everyone yeah. in the room. There were two doctors and the midwife and Rachel and Sam and they all saw his testicles and none of them told me. They did a good job but, <laughs> yeah, so he was there with his 
yeah, he had one leg out, then his testicles and his other foot came out. And then wow. <laughs> once we got to his bottom, he sort of rotated so that his spine was coming out um, anteriorly, like sort of the normal normal way his spine was up. Um, I sort of had rolled over onto my back by that stage. That's what felt right. Um, and so I just pushed him out until his shoulders. That was quite easy once we got his bottom out because it was just like a, a easy um, – it wasn't his foot sort of pushing in weird spots. It was easy. Um, and I could see his whole body just coming out. And so then the doctors just helped his arms to come out called um, love sets manoeuvre, I think, um, which they often do with a breach. But they hadn't done anything, hadn't touched him whatsoever until that stage, which is good because the good breaches are sort of, you know, the saying is sort of hands off the breach. You don't want to touch them and want to let them do their thing because once their body is out, if you're touching them, you're sort of stimulating them to start breathing and whatever and you don't want to obviously do that until their head is out. So they, yeah, didn't touch him until they got to the shoulders um, and then so once they got his yeah arms out and shoulders out, they then obviously noticed that he had the cord around his neck twice, which um, wasn't the main issue with it was that it, as he was coming out further, it obviously caused it to get tighter um, because he was coming out. So then I tried pushing for maybe a minute or two um, to get his head out, but I didn't have a contraction and I couldn't feel one. And it sort of makes sense because his whole entire head would have been sort of like in my pelvis, in my birth canal, and I couldn't feel the contraction in my belly anymore. And so I didn't really know how to push. So at that stage, um, they had actually cut an episiotomy when his second foot was coming out just in case they needed to do more manoeuvres or anything to help him out, um, which I was fine with. Um, so they'd already cut that and so they decided that they would put some forceps on his head just to get that out because of the cord was getting quite tight and I didn't have a contraction and because his body was already out in the air they were worried that the umbilical cord that obviously is still connected to his belly is getting exposed to the cold air which is what um, stimulates it to constrict obviously so they knew they didn't really have too long so they yeah, put some forceps on his head and it was really easy to get him out. They just, it's just because I didn't have the contraction to push. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, they got him out and that was quite quick and easy. Um, It was a bit uncomfortable for me, but I sort of was like, they just have to do it to get him out. And the doctors were so calm the whole time and didn't rush me. And it was, I felt really supported and it was definitely everything, you know, the episiotomy and the forceps, both of them were completely, we think this would be the best thing. Um, are you okay with it? it? None of it was just done to me, which I, yeah. yeah, really valued, even though I know it just made, it meant that in on paper you could say that those two things can be quite traumatic mm-hmm. for someone, but I don't see them that way because I think that they were both um, maybe they weren't necessary, maybe other things could have been done, but I think they got me my baby safely and they were consensual and I don't, yeah, I feel like they were what was needed at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So he came out and most breech babies, because they do have that cord exposed to the air, do take a little bit extra, a few minutes or whatever to sort of come, come out to the world and sort of take their first breath and they're often quite a bit flat at birth um so whether he was born via cesarean or vaginal birth most of them need a little bit of help just you know a good rub down and a little bit of oxygen just to get them going 
Um, so he needed he needed that. And I think because they'd given me that bit of fentanyl waiting for the senior doctor to come in, it meant that he was he had the fentanyl in his system too because usually you wouldn't give that to someone if their baby's about to come out because it does cross the placenta. But I guess they that doctor really was a bit nervous about me having this baby without the consultant there. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was it's what they thought was the best decision at the time and that's um, fine. But I do think that that impacted him needing a bit of assistance to start breathing. So he didn't have skin to skin straight away, but it was, I just knew he was fine the whole time. I just, he was over at the recess cot and they were doing their thing, but I just knew that he was fine. Um, and my husband was a little bit more concerned because I guess he doesn't quite have that intuitive connection that you have with your baby. You know, they're not connected in that same way. And I just knew that he was fine the whole labour. I wasn't concerned. Um, so he ended up going to the nursery just for, I think, about 24 hours because um, he had a little bit of fluid on his lungs that he just needed to get rid of. But I guess at the end of the day, whether I'd gone in at, you know, my waters had broken. So if I'd gone in and they'd given me a cesarean, I think the exact same things would have happened with him. I don't think it's anything to do with how he was born. Um, so, yeah, I was just so pleased that I got this vaginal birth and I was just on, yeah, such a high. I was yeah. so, so, so proud of myself and I just the whole time I had this instinct that my body could do it and my baby could do it and they were in this position yeah. because they needed to be and that it would I just I felt so proud of myself for trusting my body because I think being a midwife is awesome and I love my job but you do work in a medicalized system and at times the protocols of the hospital sort of keep you to a certain standard that I think sometimes cheats women, you know, we do inductions thing for reasons I don't always believe in and yeah. think, you know, let's trust the body a bit more. Um, and so I was sort of a bit conflicted knowing statistics and whatever, but also knowing that everything else was so straightforward mm -hmm. and that I needed to trust my body. And, you know, I really didn't want a cesarean, not because I think that they're bad. I think I was more than happy to have one for a life-saving reason. But to me, my baby was fine and mm -hmm. I you know, wanted my baby to choose their due date when they were going to be born. I wanted them to choose that and to have, you know, your waters break and to have that microbiome transfer. And, um, you know, in labour you get sort of chemicals going across that sort of stress the baby a bit so that they know when they're born to breathe and to be alert. And I didn't, I thought if you just go in for an elective caesarean, you don't have all of that. And mm -hmm. so obviously if I'd had another complication that meant a vaginal birth was really, really unsafe. Of course I would have done it, but for me, breach was just not a reason. So I guess I was just so proud of myself and my body for what it had done. Yeah. Um, I ended up obviously needing stitches um, from the episiotomy and it had extended a little bit and gone a bit um, deeper, but all of that is honestly totally fine and I would have that any day over yeah, having that elective cesarean because I just, it means that in the future when I have another baby, if everything's going well, I can have a home birth yeah. through the same publicly funded system and, you know, all of that. It just um, gives me so much freedom for future pregnancies and births and, yeah. yeah, and I knew that it was my baby had chosen the day they wanted to be born and that meant a lot to me. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm still trying so, to process you looking down during birth and seeing legs. Oh, it was so bizarre. <laughs> it was so weird. 
It would have yeah. been, yeah. So bizarre. But like I said, it was really cool because it helped me push in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, the rest of it was all pretty smooth sailing. You know, they, I had the injection for the placenta because I at that stage just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I was yeah. like, just get it out. <laughs> and did you do anything special with it? No, I didn't. I, I think in my mind at the time I'd been telling myself that the placenta was what was making me feel so nauseous and sick oh, the whole time in yeah. pregnancy. I decided that it wasn't my baby, it wasn't the pregnancy, it was just the placenta. Yeah. And so get rid of that thing. I don't want to see it again. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'd always thought pre-being pregnant and whatever that I would keep my placentas and potentially plant them under a tree or something. But Mm -hmm. at that time, I was just so mortified by how sick it made me feel. (laughs) So, yeah. So what key piece of advice would you give to any expectant mothers out there? I really think it's that, um, you know, our bodies are built for this and it's amazing that we have all these Um, interventions and things for when things don't go as smoothly. But if your body is telling you something or your baby's telling you, no, it's actually okay, is to really lean into that and really trust that. And I think um, talk to your healthcare provider about it and bring it up and don't be afraid to sort of voice that you, you know, feel a certain way. And if someone's brushing you off, get a second opinion because you really, I think that you have that such... A deep connection with your baby and your body if you if you sort of open up to it and I think you can learn a lot that way and I really wasn't that spiritual of a person sort of before any of this but now it just feels like yeah so much of this was the way it was meant to be and maybe I wasn't meant to have a home birth for my first baby but now maybe you know since that there's been a few more planned breech births at work at the hospital that I birthed since so I think oh maybe I because I stood up for it, maybe I'm, you've made it seem like, oh, maybe this is actually a viable option. And I think because the doctors didn't think, oh, she's just gone on Google and decided it's a good thing. She's actually an educated health professional and she knows the risks. And so I don't think anyone really questioned why I wanted to do it. Um, So I think they, they all supported me. And so then having that go relatively well, then I think they yeah maybe it will change things a bit in the future who knows but maybe that's why my baby needed to be born that way as well so yeah oh that gave me chills well you sound like a fantastic midwife Anna thank you so much for coming on today no thank you that brings us to the end of the show guys I thoroughly enjoyed this episode because one I mean breech birth it's amazing but two Prior to doing this podcast, I was always told that, you know, breach is immediate C-section because there really aren't many OBs that will support a breach delivery these days. So it was really refreshing to hear the OB in charge was so relaxed and supportive of her desire to birth vaginally. And even though there were some interventions, it just goes to show the impact on a birthing woman's psyche when she feels held and supported. I thought that was a really beautiful element of this story. I also love that Anna was really informed on her choices. She read the evidence and decided that this was a safe option for her and her baby. I will also attach the link to the study Anna mentions for any of you that are eager to read that. And lastly, how amazing are babies? I mean, they really don't get enough credit. I just find the whole thing so fascinating and, again, a testament to the power of birth. Okay, I'm done. Let me know what you think of today's show over on the PBA Instagram and I'll see you guys next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia. Bye.